You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Okay, Brendan, I want to start this podcast episode with something pretty half out, pretty special. Uh, it's a eulogy for a, a dear friend. Okay. So I'm going to start. <laughs> for now, her light has been snuffed. A format balancer, an overseer of sorts. Whom will rise to take her place? She rose, she fell, oft underestimated, not sure by who. Frequently a stats breaker. Beyond no illusion, she was more powerful than most. Rest in peace, our light illusionist. How dare Prism, sculptor of Arc Light. Of course, Prism, sculptor of Arc Light, now living legend, uh, and no longer available in Class Constructed along with Luminaris, Brendan. Uh, yeah, so I actually was answering a question, some questions this morning via Twitter for an article that's going to go up on SCG. And I actually actually answered a lot of questions about Prism, um, because obviously it's a hot topic. I think that the Living Legend status, the recent and new acquired Living Legend status of Prism, is going to have more an effect, more of an effect on the flesh and blood meta than the entire set of Uprising. Every single card that was printed in Uprising. Prism, although an uninteractive deck, uh, with some kind of finicky mechanics, Spectra, which I don't know if we're gonna keep seeing as uh, flesh and blood grows into its adulthood, um, bit of a weird bit of weird game mechanic there that led to some i don't know <laughs> unfun situations nevertheless was and fun. a and yeah, fun yeah nevertheless was was very much uh the rock in our rock paper scissors format so with mm. with 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 prism leaving there is a, I, like what will the flesh and blood meta look like i think that guardian is gets a gets a huge it's a big winner out of this, right? It's a big, big winner. We know this is Guardian's nemesis. It's definitely what has been keeping it down. Um, but we also have decks like Kano and Icelander, other decks that have these effective auto losses versus Prism. Prism really was one of those decks where there were some things that were very good into it. I guess some some decks were kind of middling into it, right? But others, straight up auto loss, like terrible. You have virtually no chance, um, you know, just really, really bad matchup. And because of that, it kept the, me- the meta, quote-unquote, maybe healthy. So I'm very excited and very interested to see where we go. I think that if you're looking to compete at Nationals in these next couple weeks, the first thing that your deck probably needs to do is beat Oldham and beat Briar. If you have that, or at least you can go 50-50, I think you're at a good starting place. But we will see other heroes come into the format. Guard or Prism did keep some things down. Um, I know for myself and, and you as well, Hayden, Kano is a big winner, but probably still suffers a little bit from the printing of cards like Oasis Respite. Um, will we see that enter more sideboards, or will people, you know, kind of stay a little bit greedy? I don't know. But yeah, this is uh, this is big news in Flesh and Blood. We all knew yeah. it was coming, and uh, it's a shakeup for sure. Yeah, so you you could be forgiven for thinking that uh, you've jumped in at the end of the episode here. So rest assured, we're gonna we're gonna jump back to I guess the story beforehand. But you know, we we had to we had to say a fond farewell to a dear friend, Brendan, someone that we've both uh, a hero that we've both played at a competitive level events. So yes, as you say, a big shakeup coming. We'll we'll get to that. First of all, I want to. Uh, you know, go through Pro Tour Lil, of course, the calling Lil. The Lil PT2 weekend is just wrapped up. Um, we're still traveling, as you might note, by no video and the audio presence. Uh, Brennan's got a professional studio set up 
in Amsterdam yes. and it definitely, definitely did not take about 45 minutes for us to get to start recording. You ever seen a, uh, a shrimp in the wild? You know how they sit at those like 90 degree angles? That is what I'm doing right now, trying to be as close as possible to my mic on this uh, two foot tall table. Um, the entire side of my lower back is just totally numb. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll be fine. But anyway, welcome to episode 73 of Arsenal Fast. Uh, Brendan, I want to start with the weekend flesh and blood, but I want to take, I want to sans, since we're in, we've been in France, I'm still in France, sans the flesh and blood. What have you been doing since the Sunday evening when uh, Pro Tour 2 weekend wrapped up? Tell me about it. We're now date stamp. We're, what, 31st of August. It's Wednesday yeah. afternoon. What have you been doing for the past three days since PT number two? Yep. So I took a bus over to Amsterdam. I'm there now. And it's it's been incredible, Hayden. I've actually gotten, not only have I been served water with my food, um, and been hydrated. You're kidding. But I've also been served edible food. And don't get me wrong. Um, I like. Uh, I'm oh, pretty. Gosh. I'm pretty wild with my with my my uh, my palate. I like a lot of different food. I'm very willing to try stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of come out and say that France that France's reputation as a as the culinary leader in this world is uh, a bit dubious. Um, I know that Lille is probably not representative of the rest of France, considering things like Paris and Lyon, but the food in Lille was uh, genuinely quite bad, and the service was even worse. <laughs> uh, but other than that, it was a good time with friends and things like that. But my favorite part about Amsterdam is actually, uh, is so far the food and, and the water. It was very hard to get water <laughs> in Lille. To be honest. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to redeem uh, France because we do. I know we do have some French listeners out there, and uh, you know, even some. I'd say friends of the show that reside here in France. I'm thinking, but Nice. I'm down in Nice right now, very, very other end of France, and uh, I got to say, the food and the service have both been phenomenal since I've been here, Brennan. So I think if we're putting out a message to James White and Legend Story Studios, it's uh, let's maybe go to Nice or Lyon or Marseille next time, maybe. Yeah, because like, yeah, I can tell you down here in the South, uh, both the food and the service have been great. I have uh, just been eating my way around Nice at this point. So it's, uh, it's been a good start. I'll vouch for that. So yeah, I, I flew down here from Lille post pro tour on Sunday, had a great time on Sunday uh, saying goodbye to everyone and, and spending some time with uh, friends and, and people that we don't get to see very often. And then, said a fond farewell to Brendan, slapped him on the back and said, I'll see you at Worlds. And I'm down here in Nice now. So, Yeah, absolutely. So bringing back the flesh and blood, our weekend flesh and blood, which actually we're definitely going to dive into, consists of the oh, Pro definitely. Tour. But I actually want to talk a little bit about my week outside of the Pro Tour because Ooh, it has included yes. some flesh and blood. I I turned on, you know, typed in my URL, uh, something, a little thing called Flesh and Blood Online and tried it for the first time. I'd heard good things, but, you know, I'd heard maybe a little bit buggy and... You know, I just wasn't sold. And boy, Hayden, I am sold. And not only am I sold, I do think that this is probably the most revolutionary and just just important thing that's ever happened to Flesh and Blood, um, at least since the game's release. And I know it sounds a bit ambitious to say that, but I have been, not only has it reignited my interest for things like Classic Constructed, but I cannot put into words how convenient and effective it is for me to literally go onto that website and just click a random class constructed game, load in my deck via FabDB, and play a legitimate game of Flesh and Blood that not only I can analyze, but I can also learn from. The competition has been somewhat fierce. I was very impressed, but at the same time, I'm just seeing it for what it is and how much, like how effective this tool will be for 
just trying out new decks, new ideas, seeing if things actually work. Because the hardest part about Flesh and Blood right now is that it takes two people. And sometimes that person you're putting on that other deck, uh, it's effectively sometimes a waste of time for them, right? You put them on a gauntlet deck or maybe you're playing Kano. Like, how bad is it when your teammate has to play Kano? I can go onto that website, Flesh and Blood Online, and I can spark it, you know. Waste someone else's time. Yeah, it wastes somebody else's time while they watch me combo off. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm totally sold. I'm, I'm a believer. Like you said, Hayden feels like the old days of Magic the Gathering Online. Um, this sort of lightweight client that has the rules encoded where you do not have to drag things, run some clunky software, have a great internet connection, can work without all of those. Um, and yeah, I think that it's going to massively increase the... Uh, skill floor of players in Flesh and Blood, and I'm not surprised that the recent Pro Tour champion, Mr. Matthew Fox, touted it as his sort of number one reason for success. Um, yeah, I, I I just heavily encourage anybody to check it out. It's an incredible program, and I'm very excited for the future. Yeah, and we didn't even uh, get the developers to pay us to say that, so you know, I think we missed a beat there. No, in all seriousness, not not a paid advertisement at all. Uh, Brennan's just had a great experience actually playing some games of the past few days. I've had a brief moment to to check out the the client. Um, don't really have too much to say beyond that, but I'll I'll, I'll definitely check it out in the coming days. All right, moving on with uh, more flesh and blood related topics, Brennan, into the news. First of all, big congratulations to all the winners, place getters, and of course competitors from this pro tour uh lil weekend you know just getting there and as an achievement itself so and i like to say it to myself because <laughs> spoiler alert didn't have the greatest weekend but i still competed uh pro tour champion and new pro tour champion matt folks massive congratulations calling winner uh eurus verhelst if i said that name right eurus uh michael hamilton battle hardened champion and uh, a special shout out to pablo pintor who went back to back with top eights at pro tours this weekend yeah i think uh pablo pintor might be pretty good at the game um, <laughs> turns out yeah uh, that's such a quite an achievement, right? Um, winning winning a pro tour and then top eighting the the one immediately after it's uh, quite impressive. Well, also won Madrid. Also won the calling in Madrid with his team. Let's forget. So Pablo's been on an absolute tear since New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, speaking of back to back and hat tricks, we got Michael Hamilton coming in at the Battle Harden. Um, I was actually speaking of the article that I was answering questions for. They asked who I thought would win U.S. Nationals, and I said it's Michael Hamilton, and it's not particularly close. I do think that Michael Hamilton might be the best player in the world. He act. The thing is, is his record or his uh, sort of resume of wins is, uh, although extremely impressive, might not be as impressive as. Uh, maybe someone's like Pablo's, but Michael Hamilton has not been playing this game for a long time at all. And pretty much every tournament he's played, he's walked up and won. Unless it's a turn- team tournament with me, then uh, then we didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder whose fault that is. Um, it's definitely not Sean's. <laughs> I, I think you look at Michael's, Michael's record. I mean, uh, you know, a calling top eight, two calling wins, a Pro Tour top, I think he finished 17th at Pro Tour number one. And then uh, goes and actually, let's forget top sixteen at this PT. Actually, cashed two PCIs this weekend, winning Battle Harden as well. So, and also an amazing weekend for Michael there. Uh, he's uh, he's pretty good. <laughs> uh, ban is suspended. List updated. Of course, we we had our eulogy to Prism at the top of the show. Prism and Luminaris and Class Constructed uh, now Living Legend status and banned from the format. And Blitz Wizard cards such as Snapback and Stir uh, the Aetherwinds have moved from the ban to the uh, sorry from the suspended to the permanently banned list. Uh, I guess there's a bit of a spiel there. You can go check that out on Flesh and Blood, uh, fabtcg.com, sorry. But basically the underlying thing there from uh, the devs and from the team there on the BNS announcement is basically uh, that they feel that Blitz is in a really strong sort of spot 
Uh, and Wizard sort of was too powerful, those cards, and that's kind of been, uh, you know, a prominent reflection after the suspension announcement last time that uh, makes sense now to move those to the ban list uh, rather than continue to suspend them uh, sort of list after list, I guess, or update after update. And Crown of Seeds remains on the suspended list. That one is not shifting to the ban list. Um, Colleen and Charlotte, Nationals US info. Uh, if you do want to see that weekend, I think tickets are all available now. Obviously, Brennan, you've been asking questions for an article that's about to go up. Uh, I think that weekend is being held by SCG, right? So, a uh, big mm-hmm. weekend coming there, calling and Nationals. Info on Dynasty. Uh, by the time we put this pod up, it's actually already up. It's happening. It got moved from, I think, the 30th of August to the 1st of September. But that, that sort of info on the set, I guess that's going to be like, you know, you know, sort of the base information, booster displays, et cetera, et cetera, what, what to expect from the spoiler season. Uh, that'll be up on fabtg.com. And of course, Bryn, we did get to see a preview card at uh, the Pro Tour. We got to see the Emperor, the first dual class hero. And, you know, we've got a, I, I managed to capture that reveal as it happened. And uh, we've got a, a bit of a small vlog coming up sort of probably the next week on YouTube from the, the PT. But Brendan, I just want to get your initial thoughts on, on the Emperor card and our first dual class card, Wizard Warrior. Um, so yeah, the wizard, of course I love it because it's a wizard. I think thematically it's really cool, right? Um, to see the emperor, uh, just like lore wise, uh, it really hits home in terms of what the card does. It does seem a little unplayable. Uh, I do think it is more of a for fun card. <laughs> Watch me eat my words on that one. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't jump out to me as particularly powerful. Um, but outside of that, you know, it, it just, it definitely gets me excited, right? And uh, I am particularly excited for Dynasty. I'm hoping that in terms of this supplemental set, we can get a sort of an ode back to Crucible of War and maybe a departure from some of the design we saw in Everfest. Um, so I'm I'm very excited. And these, these spoilers, they're definitely, you know, they couldn't come soon enough. Yeah, excited for the next set. Obviously, it's going to be post the World Championship. Um, but I, I think the big thing as well with I, I feel that this is kind of the start, right? This is the this is the the card they want to show because it's it's got it's steeped in lore with the Command and Conquer sort of piece of it and the art. It's iconic at this point with Command and Conquer. Um, so this is the first hero we see, but you know by no means is it going to be the last. And I think this is just a small taster of what we can expect in Dynasty. I mean, it feels like we've already seen little snippets of this. You know, people talking about cards like. Um, uh, is it is it run through? No, it's it's the one that looks like it's a warrior mech card. Like there's those kind of things that we've already seen hints of uh, from sets like Everfest. I've forgotten the name of the card. You know the one I mean, Brendan. I'm sure I'm bad with names. Uh, the one that's uh, an attack reaction for uh, was it <laughs> from a warrior rather? Mm. Well, it doesn't come to the <laughs> put me on the spot. Eh? About it. <laughs> People have been talking about it. Obviously, I'm terrible with these sorts of things. Um, but you know, if I, I'll, I'll keep looking up while we talk. And I mean, lastly, you know, obviously with Dynasty coming up, um, we'll see what happens. But lastly, just want to give a call out to our patrons. Uh, big thank you to all of our our patrons. Uh, we do, if you're not familiar with our Patreon, you do get access to our Discord, our Patreon Discord. We do throw up deck text there. We'll definitely be doing some some once we get back in country on, uh, I guess, firmer land with all of our equipment. We'll be doing something around the deck that we played at the PT and uh, any sort of nationals things as well as we'll have other deck decks coming from from other players like we have in the past with Yuki and um, Tyler and we also put up uh, of course when we do those we do on Patreon sort of in-depth deck guides and sideboarding guides and stuff that go up there that you can get access to so plus extra content so we'll also be recording recording a, a patrons pod coming up mm-hmm. in the next few weeks yep Brilliant. and speaking of inedible food and my recently acquired edible food here in Amsterdam it is time for the Command and Cookout section. Hayden, I know you are finally not starving as well, so let's go ahead and get into it. 
Yeah, of course, Brendan, I'm uh, well fed. And I did just want to point out that the card that I was thinking of before is Blade Runner, of course. And with that said, we do have a great question in the Commander Cookout this week from Fancy in the Arsenal Pass Patreon Discord, who asks, how do you feel about class-specific defense reactions? Do you like them to uh, stop lots of damage efficiently, thinking Guardian Warrior, or stop a generic amount of damage but have a special trigger that can shape the turn? Fancy points out Wizard, theoretically Ranger, Traps, although Fancy does say they may seem to be half-baked attempts. Uh, not sure about those ones. But of course, we do also have things like Reckless Swing and uh, and whatnot. A lot of other defense reactions that do have upside, I think Biting Gale, things like that. So interesting question. I've never really thought about this, Brandon, but what do you think about defense reactions and especially, uh, particularly class-specific defense reactions and their role in the game of Flesh and Blood? Yeah, so one that comes to mind that's definitely not a half-baked attempt and is also quite thematic is something like Flick Black. Debatably too powerful, to be honest, but a great ninja defense reaction, although uninteresting in how much it blocks for it, you know, zero for four, three, two. Um, it is cool how you do get an additional defensive value on your next card with combo, right? So it sort of incentivizes you to have combo cards in your deck, obviously meshes very, very well with something like Katsu. Um, I think thematically, that one is quite nice. I do think defense reactions... I don't know if it still holds true, but it definitely did in the past. That like it was a, is a scary design space, right? Because too many, then you could get these sort of ultra defensive fatigue decks, um, which is kind of what Ninja Control was. Um, but I think nowadays we may have either superseded that possibility through the power level of current cards and decks, specifically some of the Rune Blades, uh, as well as maybe classes like Wizard that don't care too much about defense reactions. We have cards that. Or play well into defense reactions, right? Command and Conquer, obviously, being a staple exude in that. Confidence. You know, mm -hmm, exude confidence, exactly. So less worried about them from a design perspective as I used to be back in the earlier stages of the game. But I, I do think that if if they mesh with sort of what your what your class is already trying to do they can feel quite nice for a mid-range deck, right? So mid-range ninja, you know, might play something like defense reactions just inherently because they're so efficient, right? Um, it, you don't necessarily have to be a fatigue ninja deck to add something like Flick Flack into your deck, right? Um, yeah. So I think overall, uh, I like them, right? But any, I, I always worry about fatigue, right? I always worry about fatigue because I think that it is one of the the less healthy healthy things for the game, not at a professional level, but more at like an armory level, because that can be a particularly bad experience for for new players. And while that that strategy can usually be very easy to implement, it can be quite hard, uh, quite hard and technical to beat. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I, I think when it comes to the defense reactions, what I find most interesting is, is basically what what you said. You talked about do they mesh with what your class is trying to do, and in particular what your game plan is trying to do. You know, sometimes defense reactions just don't make sense to be in a particular deck, no matter what the effect is. But what I find really interesting is these defense reactions that have they're, they're less about pure numbers. I think for some classes and and some strategies, those are those are good, and we want to have those in the game. So you know, we have some zero for fours. I think those are good to have. I think about a card like Staunch Response, for instance, as a class card, which is just as pure numbers, right? Same with, uh, which is what Fancy's alluding to, I'm sure, with Sharpen, um, Sharpen Steel. That's not called Sharpen Steel. Steel Blade Shunt. My goodness, my, my card names today are failing me. Uh, but I do really like defense reactions that are less, I guess, pure numbers and a bit less obvious in terms of what the return is on them. So I like a card like Biting Gale as a defense reaction. I think is really interesting out of Guardian uh, for, you know, Ultim, for instance. Things you know, like uh, like Reckless Swing and and Reiner, these are defense reactions I find a lot more interesting. Things like um, uh, Sigil of Suffering in in Runeblade, you know, mm -hmm. let's 
hey, let's give Runeblade some more stuff. Let's have some more defense reactions in Runeblade. But no, I, I like that card. I think it's really interesting that it's, you know, it, on the surface, it's a zero for five, but will it always be? It causes your opponent to make decisions. Same with Biting Gale. Like, I, I like those things. So in general, I'd prefer to have those as the defense reactions, I think, down the line in this game. You know, traps are certainly interesting to me, but are they a bit underpowered? Maybe not quite the right time for them. So um, I would like to see more of those things explored rather than just straight pure numbers, I think. Yeah, um, my... Yeah, I think my favorite defense reaction is probably Reckless Swing. It, it is it, it is kind of pure Lovely. numbers, but it drastically changes the way like your opponent. I mean, it just changes the end game, right? It changes the late to end game and sort of what your critical life threshold should be when entering that. And I think it's a particularly inter- interesting card to play against. You know, your opponent usually will be pitching it, and you need to play around something like is there two, is there three, what sort of life total am I willing to go to? Um, so I, I particularly like that one. There are some others that have missed pretty hard. Right, um, so we talk about ranger and traps, but I also think uh, pretty much all the wizard defense reactions are quite terrible. Um, maybe, maybe new, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe the new one, <laughs> maybe the new one uh, is reasonable in something like Icelander, but at least for what Kano is trying to do, it is just so anti synergistic um, to an extent because of the resources, not actually the effects. So something like oh, absorbent ether, great effect, just like way too expensive for sort of what kind of resources you need to pull off reasonable combo turns um but yeah i think we've had some hits and some misses and i think it's something that that uh we can i think they can keep adding it to the game i think the design space is safe now that there are plenty of tools to answer it um which there wasn't in the past yeah i i the it's actually funny when you think about some of these defense reactions that don't see as much play they have this really base actual return when you think about it of like a two cards for six right so i think of steel blade shunt i guess that's two for seven technically but you just talked about like uh, absorb ether it's like a pitch one for six it's you know it's it's quite interesting i i actually really like the design space of those cards and i think at some point we might see them be be viable absorb beneath is a card that i've messed around with a little bit have played in in some kano decks um but i do agree like you know it just doesn't necessarily fit maybe the power level of the game that we we have right now but that, that could change right there's other cards that could come out and really benefit from those effects right that then tip those effects over the edge in terms of when you're just kind of valuing them so yeah i, I find defense reactions in the class space super interesting and i think it's kind of underexplored um although we do actually have quite a few when you think about it but you know mm-hmm. try and name all them rock slide trap you know that's not name you hear very often rock slide trap that literally sounds like a foreign language i don't think i couldn't even picture the art which is unusual for me uh yeah but no i'm sure there's more to come so i want to say thank you for the question uh fancy i think it's a great question i i i do wonder where we're going to go with uh defense reaction design space in the future and and i guess to answer your question at the end is yeah the I want to see more interesting effects and the balancing of maybe some power uh, when it comes to class-specific defense reactions. If you do want to get your question in for the Commander Cookout, you can do so any which way you like. You can drop in the YouTube comments below. If you're listening on YouTube, you can go and check out um, the Arsenal Pass Patreon Discord, drop a question in there. You can email it to us, arsenalpassfabgmail.com or DM us on Twitter uh, or whatever other way you might want to try and find. So get your questions in. All right, Brennan, let's uh, move on to the main topic of the pod. And it is, of course, the Pro Tour and Calling Weekend that has just happened in Lille. And a, uh, a new certain living legend acquired status for a hero. I want to start by just recapping, I guess, a little bit about the event from ourselves and then dive into more about the event from a, a broader standpoint. You know, obviously the results, the meta, what happened there. So first of all, Brennan, let's talk a little bit about, I'll let you lead us off, what we played and then uh, your experiences over the weekend would be great to hear. Yeah, so we ended up playing Briar, um, a slightly atypical deck. I would say if uh, if the Pro Tour had happened two days earlier, our deck would have looked 
much different and very weird. <laughs> We're actually looking at like a tall earth briar because most of the things that, you know, that deck was losing to back in early Tales of Aria have left the format. Nevertheless, um, with things like Spellbound Creepers and just like, I don't know, Channel Monroe, it just, it just feels like these, the, these sort of zero cost briars are where you want to be. Um, but we did end up tweaking the, the list a little bit in terms of getting towards that list. It's, it's very much not our ideal deck to play. Um, I know that Hayden, Sasha, and I very much strive to play a deck that is not expected, um, kind of competes on a different axis, whether that is something like Fatigue Ninja, um, sort of the original chain deck, right, that was particularly good against Fatigue, which was the predominant strategy against that deck at the time. And, of course, at the last Pro Tour, um, a combo deck with Kano. So we did explore a lot of decks uh, leading up to the event. <laughs> a lot of ideas were thrown out. Um, there was some combo decks that we were able to come up with, but they just took too long to assemble, were a bit too inconsistent, and Runeblade doesn't have... Uh, sort of efficient and effective tutors at that, um, at least for Briar. So we're not able to really pull those off. We kind of came into the final iteration of the deck at the 11th hour. It was a very stressful week leading up to the event. Uh, I think we locked in the deck literally the night of and wrote sideboard plans individually. That's kind of where we were at. I think for all three of us, we did feel a bit under-practiced on the deck, which is, if I could attribute the lack of success to a specific thing, it is probably reps. Um, I think that's a, a consistent pain point across all three of us, um, something that we can reflect on and improve in the future. Um, but yeah, ended up on a deck that we didn't, I don't think any of us particularly loved. I did like it more than some of the, the other lists that were available uh, publicly, but nevertheless, it was a bit stock standard. So heading into the event, obviously, we, we run into Uprising Draft. It, that is a format that I'm not a fan of. Um, Hayden, you can give your thoughts after us all, but I think you're going to echo a little bit of the same, but you're a little bit higher than I am. Uprising Draft did not go well for myself. Um... And yeah, I ended up, I drafted Icelander first and then Phi on the second one. Um, ended up going one, two in each, even though my Phi deck was absolutely busted. So just starting off on day one, I ended up in the, the loser's bracket, which is where I tend to be early in the in early rounds in the Pro Tour. So um, playing Briar, my first construction round was against Ice Lexi. So wanted to uh, claw my eyes out while I slowly lost that game. Really bad matchup for Briar and did not have tools for it, now, nor had I practiced at all against it. Next up, I go against Kano, which I was prepared for, but I just got burned out. Um, so started off with a quite a bad record, ended up winning out from there, and then ended up winning out all of my all the rest of my constructed matches. After that, I went sort of... Um, I won all of my matches against the meta decks that I was expecting. <laughs> But uh, fortunately, that does not that is not uh, the recipe for success into getting in the top eight. So I ended um, around seven seven. So did Sasha and Hayden did end six six. But kind of high level macro eight, take <laughs> eight six yeah eight six high level macro takeaways were uprising draft was really rough. Um, I, while I felt under practice, I really felt like I didn't have a lot of agency um, and. I un <laughs> I think I'm going to win I think I'm going to win the next major event because at the pro tour I lost 13 out of 14 die rolls um and 
you know, that one die roll I won was not in draft. So I had a, I had a really rough time in draft. I just kind of got rolled over by a few fives, like when they were going second and it didn't really feel like there was too much I could have done. Um, the constructed matches that I was winning, my opponents were putting my Briar deck on the play, which is what I wanted, um, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, didn't have too much luck on the die rolls. Ended about break even there, which is a disappointing result, but a learning lesson learning lesson ultimately. So I had, I had a good time, um, even though the results, uh, wasn't what I hoped for. So how about you, Hayden? How, uh, I know I talked a little bit about your experience as well in there, but anything you want to add and sort of your individual takeaways? Oh, it's just classic. Brendan always trying to speak for me. No, <laughs> I, um, no, there's definitely some, some things I echo about that. You talked about the kind of arrival on the deck and, and for the most part, um, yeah, I agree. It, it's probably worth noting that you, Myself and, and Sasha, the three of us who worked together on uh, for this event, we ended up on slightly different lists. You know, like I think me and Sasha maybe had four or five cards different. I think you had six or seven cards different. So um, there was there was some differences, and that just came down to basically, like Brennan said, just lack of reps. Um, so definitely something for us to refle- reflect back on. And I I don't. It's interesting. You talk about lack of reps. I don't actually feel that they they hurt me in classic constructed in the end. Uh, I wanted to <laughs> put it nicely before saying like, oh, I just kind of flipped the coin and like that. But the thing was is like my class constructed uh, record was you know it was actually okay right like i lost a kano and ice lexi like that's that, that's it um yeah. but yeah i do we will definitely get into that and i'm sorry to interrupt you but yeah we'll talk about sort of the class constructed format kind of how matter. it feels right yeah yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. something okay well I, I won't dwell too much on it i i'll just kind of break down my uh, my draft and my my class constructed experience and record um i finished day one at, at five two uh, so I, I felt pretty good going into sorry day one at five two. I felt pretty good going into day two. I felt like my losses. I went two one in the first draft. I lost to the only or sorry one of the two Jeremiah's at our table who just had like a, a really really strong deck. Actually, um, uh, Shamir who made top four in the end. It was my opponent in round two who beat me uh, pretty convincingly. Actually, it wasn't close. I had a pretty pretty decent Icelander deck though. I thought pretty reasonable. Um, well, I mean it was okay. It wasn't. It definitely was one of the weaker Icelander drafts I've had, but. Uh, being one of three Icelander, but it was okay. Managed to two on the pod, felt pretty reasonable about that. And then um, in Constructed, my my only loss was to, uh, I've got to give a shout out to Kevin, uh, Kevin from the US. We've played at both PTs now at the end of day one, and he's beaten me both times. Uh, once on Chain, now on Viserai. Um, I was trying to get my revenge, but couldn't extract it. But yeah, and then in uh, day two, I had a, a much worse draft. I ended up being one of four Icelander. It was kind of a bit of a train wreck draft. Um, I felt like I drafted my seat, but I agree with you, Brennan. Sometimes this draft just doesn't go the way you want it to um, and ended up 1-2-ing. So I had 3-3 my draft, and I felt pretty good about draft coming into this format. I was really hoping to 5-1 or minimum sort of 4-2 my draft. So definitely definitely hurt from that side. Um, so have thought about it a bit heading into nationals, and I think I might change my strategy a little bit, um, but probably won't bother diving into that now, but maybe sort of next week or something we can we can talk a bit more about it. Um, I'll reflect on it some more. But yeah, 3-3 draft in the end, and then... I uh, took three losses of class constructed to just other aggro decks. Um, and I know you want to talk about the format in a bit, so I won't dwell on it too much, but suffice to say that I, um, you know, I didn't draw the power cards I need to in those matchups. Didn't, uh, but you know, they were good games. Like all, all of them were actually pretty close, which was interesting, except for, except for one. So um, no, I mean, and overall, I just want to point out, I, I had a really good time. Uh, these PTs so far, both the PTs have been great experiences. All my opponents uh, or, you know, the vast majority of my opponents have been fantastic, have been, you know, had conversations, 
uh, if they wanted to afterwards, or just been you know generally very nice people and, and very professional and and great gamers. So it's um you know it's always an, a great experience. You know, I never feel like I want to drop at these events. I always feel like I just want to keep playing because um, even if I'm not doing particularly well, you know, like I dropped three losses to start day two. Uh, oh, sorry, I won my first round of draft and lost three in a row. You know, it was quickly went from like my expectations kept dropping of like, okay, like I can still top eight, you know, if I win out now. Okay, now I can top six. Oh, okay, I, you know, now I'm playing for maybe top 64 at best and then I lost my last round and, and missed out on money. So, um, but I still had a really good time, which is which is a great experience. And I can, I can sort of echo that because on day one, um, I was not live for top eight going into day two, but still chose to play it out. Um, just kind of for the experience, uh, you know, if I travel across the world to play a pro tour, that's kind of what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm still live for top 64, but, um, I think that just the opportunity to play something like the pro tour and play the best players in the world, uh, I valued that more than trying to get another shot in the calling at that point. At the same time, I wasn't in love with my deck, so (laughs) I didn't feel super keen to be like, okay, let's just restart it because, uh, yeah, it's just like, whatever, let's play it out. You know, I've got the deck I've got. Let's see how we go. Um, so that's kind yeah. of where I was. Talk, talk to me a little bit about, I'd love to ask you about just the kind of competition as well. Obviously, we talked about from our side, Brendan, you know, how things went. We feel that, you know, there's some some things that we feel like could have gone better, but ultimately I think some of them didn't didn't necessarily hamper our actual results. You know, there's a few things there, but what about the actual level of the competition? What about the event itself the players that you played against and and kind of what you witnessed over the weekend uh how do you think it's shifted from what we saw in pro tour new jersey yeah i mean all very good i would say in pro tour new jersey i had a bit of a harder time evaluating because i did happen to run into so many prisms on kano (laughs) and then had to kind of restart in the calling there but in this pro tour particularly i did feel like the the skill level of my opponents was quite high and consistently high i actually can't really call back to a single opponent where um you know, there was a large skill disparity downwards. Um, And I heard that from a lot of other people, to be honest. I actually heard from some of the top players in the world, both ranked on ELO, wins, top eights, PTI numbers. Like I had a few come up to me that that didn't make day two or at least weren't live for top eight and day two that were just like, they actually said, I don't know if I'm good enough to be here anymore. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but like, that's true. Like a couple of bad results in a row, you might feel like that. But I do, there is some truth to that sentiment in the sense that like the average level of player is just so much higher than it was even at PT1. And this is something that's been happening quite a bit. Um, as we go from tournament to tournament, I've just noticed it, particularly myself in the last six to eight months. You know, I remember the calling in Indianapolis was the first one. I was like, wow, I went to a calling and I didn't get a single free match, which that was not the norm before. PT1, very high level of play. And PT2, I felt like um, the highest level of play so far, which is not too surprising, but important to note because I think it is a sentiment that's echoed by most mm-hmm. of the player base. Yeah, it's the one takeaway for me in terms of, you know, just like that, talk about that skill gap and things like that is um, in limited, I think, you know, players tend to know their decks, their class constructed decks really well. Either they they default into a sort of a comfort pick. We saw that at PT1. I think we saw that here as well. You know, heroes they know, uh, heroes they've played a lot of, you know, game plans they're really familiar with. So that makes a lot of sense, right? But just the play in limited, you know, I saw very few mistakes happen in, in my limited games. You know, players playing really tight, trying to understand what the opponent had, you know, thinking about what I might be, what my lines are, and to try and, you know, counteract those, play to those lines, try and stay within the tempo of the game, which is um, really impressive to see. Because I think in previous limited formats, uh, you know, heading into this, I haven't 
maybe seen that as much. I think that's a real testament to just the, the level of play coming through here. And of, of course, you know, majority European event, um, I mean, <laughs> at risk of, of of stirring up some some emotions across the the world and the and the rivalries around the world, uh, the European players put seven of the eight players into into top eight and uh, had a really good showing across across the event and and I think majority of players I played against were European, very good players. So, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how both regions but also just the high level of competition continues to to develop as we as we go through. We head towards Worlds and of course PT one for next year. So we'll trigger be PT for whatever it'll yeah. be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, uh, I don't think that there can be much of an argument right now. And I know that some people might feel emotionally charged about the region, but um, statistically and pretty obviously, in my opinion, Europe is just they're the champ, right? <laughs> they're winning out. They're performing extremely well. They did a PT1 as well. So I think that Europe is currently the strongest region in the world. Well, we just take it off stats, right? It's, yep. it's true. That's what results being put up right now. So I think Worlds is going to be super interesting. We're back on US soil. Uh, let's see what happens. There's a lot. I think Worlds has a lot more opportunity for people to travel to as well. Like just traditionally, West Coast is just infinitely easier to travel to than the East Coast if you're uh, not from Europe or the US. Uh, so you know, I think about Asia. I played it calling Singapore again. Solid level of play there. Really some really good players. I mean, there was a Singaporean player who was actually the last, I think the last undefeated player at this PT. Unfortunately, just had a few rough runs and, and didn't make top eight in the end. Uh, very very good uh, prison player. So yeah. We'll see. I wanted to, I guess, move on to meta breakdown and just how it kind of shook out versus what we expected, Brendan. So um, I am just going to give a quick little top level of the of the PT and calling, <clears throat> and then just say, you know, I'd love to talk a bit about the meta, how it shook out, and and what ended up happening. So if you look at uh, PT in the end, Briar ends up being the most played deck. I think, you know, coming into it, we were talking about Prism and Viserai and Briar being around the top three, but it ended up being Briar then Viserai. Then Prism as pretty significantly the top three played decks, and then a bit of a drop off into Fi, Ultim, Bravo, and uh, and Dash after that. Um, and if you look through into, you know, I guess what we saw was uh, the calling day one again. Brian most played Viserai and Prism, and then just a, a, a bit of a slight drop off, less of a drop off this time into Dash being the fourth most played. Interestingly, Fi and um, Bravo, and then just kind of down from there, quite a bit of Dramai as well. Yep, I think that the the biggest standout there is actually Prism. <laughs> so if you looked at the levels of Prism in the Calling Singapore, we'll talk about Old Him as well because that was a major difference. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of Prism there, and this is a this was a very aggressive meta. So in order for Prism to do well at this tournament, she had to thrive in that aggressive meta, which you know, sort of the general. I don't know, theory, ideology around Prism is that she she struggled into that. So um, I think a lot more Prism showed up than some people were expecting. Um, and at the same time, Prism has defied odds so much that I was actually going to say this at the top of the show. But in retrospective, I think that, you know, we've been a little, or not we've, but I've been a little harsh on Prism <laughs> and her viability into aggressive decks um, just throughout throughout her lifetime. And I think that showed at PT, PT2. Uh, people showing up with Prism and being successful doing well. We saw, especially on day one, we saw some very, very successful Prisms. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing I want to talk about is Old Him. So Old Him was like, what, there's like four Old Hims in Singapore? Three. Yeah, Three. and it, it was one of the most played decks uh, at PT2 and was doing quite well. Obviously has a very bad matchup into Prism, so maybe more people hopped on it, expecting less Prism, looking at the Singapore results. Yeah. But um, 
yeah, I was surprised to see so little Olten in Singapore, which I think is sort of a regional preference uh, because of the power level of that deck. And some, you know, particularly, at least in my region, region there's a, a lot of players have an affinity towards it. Uh, it is a bit unique, kind of sort of being the dominant pillar in that uh, control archetype of Flesh and Blood. Yeah, I, we talked about it. We 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 uh, suggested that it would be more Guardian at the PT as coming out of Singapore. Uh, it ended up being around 20% of the field. Uh, Guardian for PT, and then you look at uh, the calling in particular. A lot of people picked up Bravo for the calling, ended up really jumping from what what's representation was in uh, in PT the day prior. I think just you know people reacting to the aggressive meta that we saw both in Singapore and then uh, in Lille for PT day one. Um, I'm with you. I think you know I think a lot of people picked up Guardian. People were on Guardian. I think it was a good meta call. I think people were expecting Prism to be a little bit less played. But at the end of the day, we, we've said this, uh, you know, I said this a lot last week. You've said it, we've said it again. Prism is strong. Prism is just inherently a, a strong hero and a strong strategy with, with Spectre and Phantasm. So, um, you know, I think to see the results in the end, not that surprising. I do just want to point out, so no Prism in the top eight of the PT and also no Ultim. But both in top 16, I believe there was two Prism and three Ultim in the top 16. So, you know, the remaining eight slots outside of top eight, five of those were taken up by Ultim and Prism. So really close to, you know, you know, a one win away effectively. And we've got a bit of a different narrative. Maybe it's only two Briar in there and there's some Ultim in there or there's a Prism in there. It's, a, yeah, I think very close to being a different narrative. The, the, I guess the one that stands out is, you know, the kind of, and we can talk about this anecdotally from what we heard heading into the event, but players banquet Thursday leading to the event, all the talk was about dash, right? You know, people were scavenging around trying to find their smashing good times to put into their deck. People, there was a lot of hype coming out of Singapore that dash was, you know, the sort of uh, the answer to maybe these other aggro decks, a more consistent aggro deck uh, had a transformational cyborg opportunity to play into guardian decks that would come out to hate some of the aggro decks um, and not a terrible matchup into prism. In the end, we see a dash deck make top eight in the PT in the, the hands of, uh, of of Christian Hawk. Um, but ultimately, the kind of, I guess, the performance of dash was not as strong as maybe people had expected. Had a pretty pretty tough time, all things said. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish I could have heard some of that talk at the banquet, but I was not, I was not able to go. Which uh, we originally thought was like, oh, yeah, Brendan, you're an idiot for not signing up. But actually, they emailed me with a sign-up link, and then I emailed them back promptly to tell them their link didn't freaking work. And then I wasn't able to go, which is all good because it was hot as hell on that first oh, night it in was... the banquet. Yeah. Happy, oh, yeah. I, happy I didn't have to go. But yeah, pr- uh, yeah, I mean, I still think the dash is a breakout, right? Like, I still think it had an impressive, impressive performance. It still was sort of that under-the-radar deck that came out during Singapore and had um, a bit of a successful run. At PT2. That being said, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like this dark horse that was just the best deck in the format, right? I think it was just a very solid deck, um, and it was somewhat well-positioned, and as a result, it had it had a good performance. I don't think there's much else to it, uh, but the biggest takeaway is that while you know, a lot of people might have been hyper-focused on Briar sort of being the premier aggro deck with Viserai following up as somewhat of a more consistent option if you wanted to go that route, there was another aggro deck available and competitive, which was going to be Dash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was surprised at the amount of Dash that ended up showing up and the, the conversation that was being had around Dash. Uh, in the end, Team Dragon Shield showed up with, with, with Dash as well, which was uh, surprising to me because I felt that in my testing, you know, sort of leading up to where we started to narrow down options that... Uh, I was pretty big on Dash for PT1, and I think it, the meta has not necessarily gotten better for, for Dash, although 
I also don't think Prism is particularly a good matchup, so maybe Dash does get better in this next meta where you can target Guardian decks a bit more. So we'll, we'll see. That was interesting to me. I did just want to ask, you know, so I guess maybe last thing on meta, Brendan, the, the narrative really was around aggressive decks coming into this PT, right? And that, that didn't really change. You know, you look at the top eight, you look at uh, the results, and people adjusted to that. Uh, we saw maybe on Prism, we thought, but it was it was about the aggro decks. Yep. And uh, to be honest, Hayden, I don't think that that will change. I think that old him is able to, you know, this obviously, I'm not going to go too much in this topic because it's, it is a topic that we'll be talking to, but you know, old him will come out. The, the, he is old him and Bravo are now free from their chains, old in particular, but uh, we are just in an aggressive, aggressive era of flesh and blood right now. The, the numbers and the speed and the, the efficiency of these cards in a particular power level, some cards like Channel Mount Heroic and things like Rosetta Thorn, that's just, you know, we're just in that that aggressive format right now. I think it's going to be like that for a while. Um, old him, I don't think it's as good into Briar as it used to be. Funny enough, uh, but Bravo, Bravo's pretty good in a Briar. Uh, it's a not a super fun matchup to sit on the Briar side of. So we'll see if that's you know if that changes up for for Worlds here. But yeah, just uh, we're in a I don't know we're in an aggressive state of flesh and blood. And I think it's going to stay like that, Hayden, and we can kind of maybe transition from here into the meta. And sort of what it feels like. Because I know uh, Pro Tour Champion, Mr. Matthew Fox, talked about this a little bit in sort of his post-win his post interview, sort of about the speed of the game and how that affects player agency and sort of um, just the, the general gameplay, right? It, it, it does feel a bit different. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's an, a natural bridge into, uh, I guess, what the mid is going to be. But if you talk about, I guess, what you saw Matt's comments and and this kind of meta, yeah, I, let's talk about it a little bit because I, I, then I want to move on to a couple of questions just around sort of maybe learnings and and the, the, the success of this event. So let's just get out of the way. Uh, I think if I talk about my losses in Classic Constructed, I felt like I had very little agency in my losses. And I do think that's a reality of this kind of aggressive meta where, you know, um, I... And this is not just for me, right? There's a lot of players over the weekend that experience this. You you play into an aggro mirror, and maybe you do have a few decisions that, that matter, but more often than not, what the games come down to, in, in my experience, and, and this is definitely how I felt over the weekend, is your opponent drawing the cards that matter the most in the aggro matchup. Uh, let's say maybe Channel Heroic in the Bright matchup, and uh, and and yourself not, or uh, maybe cards like Runic Reclamation or whatever it might be to target those, a race face versus a race, things like that. So, yeah, I definitely felt like that, and I, I feel like I'm cautious to... To say this, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, Brendan, but I think you you know this is something that's being shared, sentiment being shared by a lot of players. Yeah. So honestly, um, I looking back on my class constructed record, I would see it as borderline good, right? Like I lost to two decks that I wasn't really prepared for, I didn't tech for, and they represented eight decks in the entire meta. Period. Right? Eight people were playing those decks. Um, regardless of how my class constructed games went. Uh, win or loss, and I won most of them, I felt like I was spectating my matches. And that's the best way that I can put it, is I just drew the cards and I just rolled over my opponent sometimes. Um, and outside of that, I didn't feel like there was a lot of decisions. Keep in mind, this is somewhat because I didn't play Spellbound Creepers. I think Spellbound Creepers is somewhat of a skill-intensive and interesting card, and getting effective uses out of it does uh, sort of increase your decision trees in a lot of these games, but if like playing Snapdragon Scalers, I literally felt like I was reading a electronics manual, like it was just A, B, C, D. Uh, and yeah, that's just kind of how Flesh and Blood is right now, especially if you're playing something like an aggressive mirror. Um, I don't know if that opinion is particularly unpopular, but I know a lot of players did come up to me and did sort of 
give me their thoughts on this class constructed format. And it was somewhat accentuated because you were playing that format in tandem with the draft format, which I'm going to be honest, is not my favorite. And I do think it's a it's somewhat of a very heavy die roll format. Like you really, really want to win those die rolls um, and be able to choose yeah. to go second. Yeah, I feel I feel a little bit less than you do about the draft format. Like I'm, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel quite that way, but I do share some of that sentiment about, you know, the dice roll being important and uh, at times the, the draft format feeling like it's open in two turns. Uh, what I'll say about the class constructor piece as well, and, you know, this happened on the other side for me as well. Like you say, it's kind of rolling over opponents. Um, I played against Caleb Van Patten. Uh, finally, nice to meet him. Uh, Marjorie Bay, as people may know. Uh, and just, you know, on from his side, with Sonata, with Sonata on my side, triple out of rock. You know, like it's uh, a very polarizing game and, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, agency, uh, unfortunately, in that game. But I want to say on the flip side, you know, when you talk about this, there's, there's two things it could come down to. So you could look at this and say, well, you know, as deck builders and as players, maybe there's more we could be doing that we're not doing to reduce this, you know, you just talk about a, a thing there with Spellbound Creepers versus Snapdragon Scalers and, and agency and decisions to be made and, and ways to get edges in games, potentially. Oh, on the other side, you know, uh, the other side of the coin, it could be um, just a fact of this is the best way to build decks in this meta and that's what it comes down to. And I'm not sure which is, I think both are true to an extent. I think one is a lot more dominant and I'll let players make up their own minds about that. Uh, I'm leaning towards the, the latter, you know, that this is just kind of the reality of the meta, unfortunately. But I'm also open to see what I'm open to see what happens now that Prism's out of the format and uh, potentially Guardians have a lot more, I guess, freedom and space to to attack these aggro decks potentially and and, and other decks. You know, we talk about Icelander, Elixir, things like that as well. Yeah, I mean, we can just use that to hop into Prism Living Legend and just kind of expand on that a little bit. I think that, like I said at the top of the show, I think it's the sort of the biggest impact on the Flesh and Blood construct, class constructed meta in a long time. I think it's more impactful than every single card in uprising like the entire expansion um particularly mm. because yeah i mean in a rock paper scissors format prism was that rock and now we've got to sort of readjust and refine our identity for what the classic constructed format looks like and i think the guardians are huge winners in this guardian was guardian was a deck that was so good that it could show up to a tournament with a hundred percent auto loss to prism and still do very well Obviously, it might be something around ninety-five percent or ninety percent, or you know, maybe someone feels particularly particularly strong about it being favorable for Guardian because there's crazy people. But you know, um, it was so good that you could show up with that deck and take that take that auto loss with Prism being what like the the second or third most played deck. Um, It's just absolutely crazy. So I think it's a big win for Guardian. I think we're going to see a lot of Guardians come out. And, you know, Guardian is at least something like Bravo is particularly strong into Briar. I know Old Him is seen as strong into Briar. I think that that matchup is not as bad as it used to be for Briar. And, you know, Old Him might actually be able to adjust more to make it more favorable for them now that they have to worry about something like Prism. Nevertheless, um, yeah, I think that a lot of us are going to be adjusting. We're either going to be adjusting the Guardians because they're good enough to sort of kind of hate out the current iterations of Briar, or it's going to be a bit of the same in the sense that you just have to be able to breed Briar first and foremost. And the, I guess beat Briar on sort of the Delta because I don't think anything can breed Briar on the high roll. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can start looking at just the who wins, who loses out of this, right? And this is something that I'm I'm way more excited to talk about. You know, you could, I'm sure any listener of Arsenal Pass could sense my trepidation talking a little bit about this current format we played at the PT and, and how I feel about the, the aggro mirrors and things like that. And that's because ultimately I just, I just don't know. Maybe I, you know, I feel like I could have 
done something different. I always feel there's agency as a player, um, even when I feel like the agency is lower than I would like it to be. So uh, I do have some trepidation about diving into that and talking about it. But ultimately, that that format is kind of moving, and we're moving into this format where Prism is living legend. And if you look at just straight up who are the winners, you just you know it's Guardian, it's Icelander, it's uh, it's Dramaya, right? I think is Dramaya is a winner out of that. Uh, so these these decks that I think. Um, you know, you can build in really interesting ways. Alexi, Alexi's a winner as well, I think. And you can potentially really build to attack these, these, this aggro meta. And you don't have to worry about this, like you say, the rock coming in and, and crushing you and just kind of giving you a 20% of the field, a, a terrible to close to auto loss matchup. Now you just remove that and you get some freedom with the way you get to build and, and play your game plans out. Yeah, and I think that the Living Legend of Prism could be, it could be, honestly, it could be really good for the game, or it could be one of the worst things that's ever happened to the game, and I think time will tell. Let's find out. Yeah, because if we if we lean in, like, let's say Fatigue wins out, then yeah, it's going to be really bad, most likely. But if Fatigue wins out, we could see the reemergence of mid-range decks, which I know is like this forbidden prophecy that, you know, nobody thinks will ever happen again in Flesh and Blood, like... Can you imagine a freaking mid-range deck actually being played in a competitive level? Something like Reinar. Come on. With evasion. (laughs) With with evasion into these hyper-control decks. But that would probably be close to the line of what the answer would be. Um, So I think that it could be really healthy in terms of it shakes things up. Like there's an actual deck that can combat Briar uh, at a reasonable extent. Maybe there's something to answer Guardian. And maybe it's a healthy meta. The... Other side of it is something I think is actually less likely. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, old him could win out. Old him is just a very, very strong hero in class. Um, you know, crown of seeds and old him's ability just, and of course, winter's whale, just ridiculous cards. Um, so could win out and just could just be a sort of a old him control winter, but I err on the side of it being interesting, at least for a while. Um, and also just being very different. I do think that the meta will be quite different. Um, I think at the very least, I genuinely believe that Bravo has a favorable matchup into Briar, and that is enough to shake things up. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Like the the target is still on Briar. It's still you know yeah. you walk away from the PT and it lost a it lost a good matchup right in the form of Prism. Um, but the deck hasn't changed itself. It hasn't lost anything. It hasn't lost tools. You know, there was no uh, ban or suspended impact to to Briar. So Briar's still got to be public enemy number one, I think. And um, if you move beyond that, yeah, like we just talked about the winners. So what about like what about some of the decks that maybe that lose out of this? You know, Briar has to have some impact onto it. But I think about you know, is this uh, ultimately it's probably slightly ne- negative for Viserai. Uh, yeah. You know, I think for for Fi, this is a negative thing. You know, one of its best matchups is out of the format. Yep, um, I, those are the two that come to mind for me, to be honest. And uh, kind of bouncing back to who it's good for, <laughs> even though I know this is wishful thinking, it is definitely good for Kano. Kano, baby. It's, it's good for Kano. <laughs> um, if they didn't print Oasis or Spite, I think I would probably play Kano at Worlds 100%. Even if people were going to play, uh, be, you know, pack reasonable amounts of Arcane Barrier, totally cool. Um, the Kano combo deck obviously thrives in low eight Arcane Barrier, but that's totally fine in the higher levels of Arcane Barrier as well. When you get cards like Oasis Respite um, and the Guardian, the Guardian one that blocks sticks. Uh, Deadfast. Deadfast. Cards like that are really rough <laughs> for it, to be honest. Hard to find windows with a Steadfast and Arsenal um, or something of that nature or a drawn in hand. So those cards are still going to be rough for Kano, but big win. Big win, Hayden. Prism was a Whoa. terrible matchup for Kano. That's true. I, I did. Hey, I did beat it at the PT. I just want to point that out. I did beat. I did Prism beat. I did beat one never. at the PT. I did beat one at the PT. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes you get the you get the ten percenter and you. you get hey, it falls w. your way. 
Exactly. What about things that I, I do just want to quickly talk about before I ask you one last question to wrap up the pod is things that haven't moved. Uh, you know, I think mid-range is not back by any means. I think I thought about Ryan the other day. I don't think it's I don't think it's Ryan time, unfortunately. Got to play Briar, <laughs> eh? Like it's just like those aggro decks are still going to roll you. Yeah, Bravo is not a particularly amazing matchup. Uh, Icelander is, you know, there's all these things that are still that are coming back and around. Uh, I don't think things like Bolton. I don't think things have changed. Unfortunately, that that hero just kind of has a an inbuilt handicap. Uh, so there's a few things. So I want to ask you. Uh, there's one last thing I do want to ask, but before I get to that, if you were, since yeah, I know you're not going to uh, US Nationals. Uh, we've talked about it in the pod. You'll still be in Europe, but were you going to US Nationals in three weeks' time? where would you start with your testing? Like, what are the things you'd be trying to ex- potentially exploit and explore? Like, is something like Icelander maybe something that comes to mind? Yep. And before I answer your question, both you and I did miss one big winner. And this is probably this is probably on a lot of people's minds, and that is Dorinthia. Dorinthia is a big winner. Uh, Prism was a particularly bad matchup. We saw Fluke and Box take Dorinthia to some success at the PT. Top 64? And I know, I know at, on Flesh and Blood Online, I've been seeing tons of people play Dorinthia. I think that people are going to be picking that deck back up. Whether or not it is competitive at the highest level, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure yet. But um, it's a big winner, and I think that you know Dorinthia is a deck that a lot of people have wanted to kind of get back into for a long time. All right, to your question, yeah. how would I prepare? I, I, just, actually, I do just want to count it quickly. It did top eight calling as well. I think worth noting, there was a Dorinthia in top eight calling. Um I don't actually think it's a, a big win for uh, Dorinthia because Guardians went out of this, and Guardian is not a good matchup for Dorinthia. You still have sure. to deal with with cards like Oasis Respite, which are not good for Dorinthia either. I, I don't actually know if it is a big one for Dorinthia. I think it might be sort of net neutral. Um, I did just want to point that out, but obviously did have some success this weekend, which was great to see. Yeah. So talking about how I would prepare for U.S. Nationals, well, the first thing I'm going to do is try to reevaluate the buyer list. Um, like, I think that Matthew Fox buyer list is pretty unique. Um, and at the same time, it is very, very powerful. We see cards like Promise of Plenty being played, um, which is, is definitely underrated, I'll tell you that. Um, whether it is the absolute truth, I'm not too sure quite yet, but I think that his list is very strong. It's well thought out, and it does look a bit atypical. Obviously, it's it, you know it really leaned into belittle, which I think is what you want to be doing if you're putting belittle in your deck. Is realize that that is probably one of the most powerful things that your deck is doing, and lean into it. So reevaluate his deck um, and kind of see how that plays up against the other Briar decks. And at the same time, I mean, you're practicing. I think you're going immediately into practicing against Guardian, making sure you can beat that matchup. Um, and I think you want to have game plans there. I think you need to be prepared for Icelander if you're going to be playing an aggro deck. I think Icelander, like we talked about, huge win. And Icelander could be quite disruptive for some of the aggressive decks. I heard it's less so for Briar, but, you know, if you're playing something like Fi or even Viscerai, it could be a little rough. So that's really what I, I mean. The main thing I'm looking at is like, can I still play Briar into this format? <laughs> because I think the Briar is is very very powerful right now. Um, Channel Micro Heroic is just crazy, and I think the Spellbound Creepers is unbelievably powerful and has just been heavily underappreciated for a long time. Um, so I'm looking to beat Guardians. I'm looking at new decks that might come into the meta, but ultimately I'm looking at aggressive decks and particularly Briar at that. Lastly, my last note would be I would be looking. I'd be playing Kano, right? I'd be seeing Kano. Yeah, I was going to say, what is <laughs> this? The ultimate, yeah, the <laughs> ultimate sort of uh, look at the left, here's the right hand. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, I, I could have said that from the start off, but it just wouldn't resonate with anybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, to, to round it out, Brendan, we've talked about the Pro Tour Weekend and Lil, the calling, and where we sort of see things happening next as we hit into national season. It's going to be super interesting. I want to end with, uh, you know, for you, 
both take this from a personal level and a uh, I guess a a level for the game, you know, for the macro for the community. Pro Tour number two was it a success? And any learnings that you're taking away from this? Pro Tour two, number two was a success. I think fundamentally, yes. Um, for for Flesh and Blood for Legend Story Studios, I think that in retrospect, um, they maybe could have picked a better area. Uh, I think that Lille is fine. Like I know we we made a lot of fun of it, but I thought that it was a it was a pretty enough city, and that it it, it was totally fine. That being said, we got very lucky with the days that the tournament was held in the venue. One or two days before, we would have all been freaking miserable. Um, obviously, it does not have air conditioning, air conditioning, and there was a bit of a heat wave as we came into Lille the week before. So, got very lucky with you know, reasonable temperatures at that tournament center. Um, past that, you know, I think a lot of players, or at least a lot of players at the PT, so I guess what you could consider to be top end players, did. There was a bit of complaining about some of the formats, um, particularly the dual format. Dual format was something that I was very excited for when it was first announced. I was 100% on board, you know, the complete flesh and blood player. After playing it at the Pro Tour, um, just my personal thoughts, I absolutely hated it. It could be because I didn't like Uprising as a draft format, but I did not like it at all. I did not think it was fun and particularly conducive to pushing the best players forward. And that was echoed by almost everybody I talked to. And like I said, this couldn't, this could be less to do with the dual format and more to do with uprising as a draft format. But, uh, I didn't like it. And if I was, if I was playing us nationals, I would not be particularly excited to rehash that experience uprising draft into class constructed. So maybe you can reevaluate that. Um, but really that's, it's not to me and how I feel about it. It's the collective and of course the studio, but outside of all that, I thought it was successful, smooth event. Hayden, there wasn't a lot of hiccups. Um, it was very reasonable. Everything went, very, went incredibly smoothly for me, and I just cruised through that tournament. Uh, the information was clear. Judge rulings were good. Um, so overall, I would look back on it as uh, as a success. Yeah, yeah. No, I look. I agree. I I think I feel the same way about you as you about a lot of those things. You know, you talked about the dual format. I was also really excited. Um, you know, I take some takeaways with that in terms of I do feel some negatives, but also I look at the end results and look at that top eight. All very talented players in the top eight. So you know, yeah, yeah. you know, there's there's a there's a thing about this that yeah, maybe there's small things that uh, you just can't avoid no matter your your skill level in these two formats. But on the flip side of that, there's definitely other edges that you can take, and and you saw players do that. So it's um it's a bit of both. But you know, I think moving forward, Legend Story Studios and uh you know the dev team, but also just the studio as a whole, are learning lessons as we go. So I expect I expect the feedback and and uh, from both the format and the event itself to to be taken on board. And um you know I think next year is going to be a smoother ride. We're going to have release schedules that actually line up with events in theory. Uh, we'll see if that that comes to fruition. But this year has been a little bit a little bit awkward because events have just kind of had to happen when they can, and and that doesn't necessarily work with the kind of grand scheme of of formats and release schedules and things like that. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I'd love to see the dual format tackled again and. Um, you know, because ultimately, I think that the the players winning pro tours should be well-rounded players, right? You know, at least for majority of the pro tours, you sh- they should be able to show their their prowess in limited and constructed. Um, I really like these formats and playing them. Maybe this one didn't play out quite in the way that we thought, but we'll we'll, we'll see. And I have optimism for for next year. Oh uh, yeah, totally agree. Um, I just yeah, the thing is, is like I and your point about the top eight. I actually believe that those are the best players in the world that made the top eight. Um, I just know personally, it wasn't my favorite, and I got. 
that feedback from a lot of other players. And uh, yeah, yeah, we will see in nationals. There's a <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna around number two on that, and of course, words world as well will include will include draft. Um, yep. So yeah, but you know, all in all, successful, and I think a a good pro tour number two for the books. For sure. Uh, yep, exactly. I think there's a lot more that uh, Brendan and I could dive into with, you know, learnings and things like that. But I think we might save that for, for another week on the pod. Uh, you know, go away, stew and, and reflect. Obviously, we're only three days removed from the Pro Tour. Uh, there's, you know, postmortems and things to be done. But ultimately, at the end, I just want to say, Brendan, uh, you know, I had a good time. Uh, it's hard to have a bad time at these Pro Tours because of the community yeah. and because of just the opportunity to actually travel and play these events. So I just feel that we ultimately... Very fortunate, and I can't wait to do it all again in San Jose in a few months' time. Less than less than two months at this point, or two months exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, that's going to wrap it up, Brendan. I don't think we have a Google review this week while we're traveling, but don't don't worry. Rest assured, the Google review section will be back. And if you do want to get your review in, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass and leave us a nice juicy review that we can come back to. We do appreciate it. It does help us get on those sort of those rankings and uh, get out to people so they can see that, you know, people do listen to us and, and they do like a little bit of Arsenal pass. Brendan, anything else to say before we sign off? Nope, that's it. I can't wait. You know, I'm excited to, although I do not get to participate, I'm excited to see uh, the national championships take uh, take hold around the world, you know, see the results. Um and yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of content to sort of deconstruct over the next couple of months in preparation for Worlds. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And Hayden and I will be sort of quick on the response to make sure that you know you all are prepped for your your individual national championships or at the very least the upcoming World Championship. Yep, we're definitely going to dive into some juicy topics next week, I'm sure. And uh We'll even start to touch on things like Blitz as we head towards the World Championship. We'll definitely be looking at the format ourselves. So do want to say a uh, big thank you again to all of our listeners and to our patrons especially. Uh, if you do want to get involved and, and discuss with me and Brendan, you can jump over on Twitter to the Flesh and Blood Twitter. We're at BrendanAPG for Brendan, of course, and at Fian underscore Dale for myself. We do engage on there. We post. We talk about the events that we play in and uh, share you know, as much as we can over there. Uh, otherwise, that's kind of it, and uh, we'll see you all next week. See ya.